I'm Kyle and Sarah, and this is the National Restaurant Owners Podcast, the podcast for you, the independent restaurant owner operator. Whether you're looking for inside information on how to scale your concept, be more efficient in your day-to-day operations, or just stay in the know with current news and events surrounding our industry, this is the show for you. Before we get started, remember you can find the full video of each episode on my YouTube channel, along with several other videos, including reopening strategies and much, much more. Also, please remember to follow me at Kyle and Sarah on Instagram. And of course, the show at restaurant underscore owners underscore podcast for details on upcoming guests and additional clips and outtakes from the show. Now, let's get into this week's episode. All right, guys, thanks and welcome back. This is episode 43. We're getting ready to wind down 2020. And I've never been more honored, anxious, aka uh, nervous to interview uh, anybody in this industry. Um, This week's guest is Bobby Stuckey. Uh, If you don't know who Bobby Stuckey is, I don't even know why you're listening to this podcast, quite frankly. (laughs) But um, (laughs) I'm just kidding just kidding. I love everybody who listens to this podcast, whether you know who any one of my guests is or not. Um, But Bobby has always been an inspiration to me. He just oozes restaurant professionalism. He is an icon uh, in in this industry. um, And and it was a real treat to have him on. I think you're going to really learn a lot from what he has to say and pick up on his vibe, which I think is an important... um, aspect of, of this particular episode. Uh, but if you don't know who he is, I'm not going to judge you anymore. I'm just going to let you know. Um, Bobby is the owner and master sommelier of the Frasca Food and Wine Group in Boulder, Colorado. Now, prior to that, Bobby has been the wine director at iconic restaurants as The Little Nell and a place you might have heard of called The French Laundry. Yeah. So Bobby is well-versed in the world of wine and food and you know, his his Frasca Food and Wine group includes concepts uh, such as Frasca Food and Wine, Pizzeria, Pizzeria Locale, Tavernetta, and the Wine Bar Sunday Vinyl. But right now, as we sit here um, in the midst of hopefully winding down this COVID-19 mess, Bobby is one of the founding members of the Independent Restaurant Coalition, which I have so much respect for. Um, he's You'll hear him in this episode talk about uh, what's going on. Uh, we recorded this a couple of weeks ago, but it's still relevant. Um, he's there of the independent restaurant coalition is fighting on behalf of the independent restaurant owners in this country that have been affected by the pandemic and the work they're doing is so important. I am, um, going to link in the show notes, um, the link from the independent restaurant coalition where they have the petition that you can sign. It takes literally two seconds. They're looking for, as last time I checked 40,000 signatures and they were just shy of that before. And I'm sure they're going to keep upping that goal. But the more signatures, the better to let uh, Washington know that we need help and we need it now, Uh, particularly as I record this. It's December 13th. They are leaving, I believe, in a week for a long uh, two-week-plus, I believe, two-week-plus vacation, and we we cannot have them leave restaurant owners hanging. So uh, please 
click the link there, um, sign, uh, sign your name, pass it along to anybody else. And I would greatly appreciate it. It's going to mean the world to, to all of us to find out at least what's coming. The unknown is really, really scary right now for restaurant owners. And I'm just, um, I continue to be impressed and, um, you know, we made it this long. It's been since March and still hanging in. Most of most restaurants are still hanging in there. So we're almost through it, guys. So here it is. Without further ado, Mr. Bobby Stuckey. Day by day, minute by minute, what's going on? Um, how is the restaurant atmosphere in Colorado these days? Uh, you know... I think it, reality re-hit us yesterday. Uh, Mayor Hancock, you know, we have, we're having some really increased numbers here of COVID. Uh, Mayor Hancock in Denver just rolled us as of today, as of yesterday afternoon. He let us know that uh, we we're getting rolled back to 25% in-room dining and probably from 50% and Boulder will probably happen in, in a day or two. So, I think our whole industry here in Colorado, because uh, as you look outside, there's snow on the ground. Uh, outside dining is not really an option for us in Colorado in the winter. Mm -hmm. So it has been, um, needless to say, uh, a tough 24 hours. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I'm here in New York and we've, uh, it's been pretty well publicized what's been going on here, but we've been fortunate enough not to have any bad weather so far. And, uh, you know, the West Village, the East Village, um, it's just turned into like a real outdoor dining scene, almost like a like a food, like a carnival kind of thing. So it's it's been good, but for sure we we know what's coming, and and uh, I know everyone here in the city is hoping to hold on to that twenty five percent as long as possible. Yeah, uh, and 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 that's so important, and 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 quite frankly, I think one of the things that happened across the U.S. is here in Colorado. You know, a month ago, you were from civic leaders to guests to restaurant owners. I think people were lulled into uh, a sense of false security. You know, you had these balmy, wonderful late summer, uh, Indian summer night yeah. here in Colorado. And then like that, it became a different reality. Wow. Yeah. It's uh certainly didn't see this coming. I, I, um, I'm a restaurant owner myself here and we were very fortunate enough to have sort of like a pickup and delivery business kind of up and going. So it was a minor little tweaks to, to our system. But one of the benefits was the town itself was very agreeable to helping out. How has the city of Denver or how has the city of Boulder rather responded to, to, to restaurants and what have they done to help you guys out? I mean, I think Boulder and Denver both have been very, very helpful. Um, look, I'm not here to ever disagree if a mayor or a city council says we need smaller, um, smaller occupancy because yeah. they're working with the science and science is important. Of course. Um, so I don't get negative when they go, Hey, we have to roll back to 25% because, uh, numbers are, are, um, are increasing. Um, uh, trying to get, permits and out patio in place and things like that. So they've tried really hard, but this is something that is beyond the civic level. It's yeah. beyond the state level. It really needs to be addressed on the federal level. And as we can see, doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on, uh, the federal level has not been very engaged in, in this epidemic. Yeah. Unfortunately. Um, 
you know, I want to, I want to just take this back and, and lighten it up a little bit here, but I have to tell you, I, when I reached out to you on Instagram, I think it speaks to how hospitality minded you are. Uh, I had sent you a, a longer text sort of giving you a spiel on who I was and what I was looking to do. And about a month later, I had seen that you had read it and I just wrote, come on, it'll be fun. And a second later you were like, yeah, cool. Here, here's the info. Uh, I'm going to hook you up with my assistant. So I, I really appreciate you, uh, um, you know, doing that. I just thought it was funny. I just wrote like, come on, man, this will be fun. Perfect. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I was, I was drawn to your story because you really, uh, aside from the wine stuff that we can get into a little bit later, you had mentioned that you were started as a dishwasher. How did you, what was your initial entrance into that? Like who was the person who brought you into this business? Well, it was actually uh, a bus boy, but same, same okay. yeah. rank and file position. Right. Look, I was a very, um, as a kid, I was a really challenged student. I, I, I am blessed with the uh, the gift of dyslexia, and I was a ch uh, really a challenged student. And it was my freshman year in high school, and uh, my mom's like, "Hey, why don't you go bust some tables in the?" So we literally took a a map and looked at what the couple closest restaurants were to my house, and there was something I could ride my bike to. Uh, it was a kind of like a fine dining Greek restaurant in the early eighties. It was totally nuts. Demetra was her name. And she like, uh, I couldn't tell if she was happy with me or mad at me. She was screaming <laughs> at me all the time, but I started as a bus boy. And I even remember my first Friday night that I got a call to bus on a Friday night. And I was like, Oh wow. I really like this. And, um, everyone else is stressed out and this seems yeah. like I can do this. Yeah. And I think for young people, if you are in the traditional uh, academic school world and you're struggling, sometimes um, confidence building of something like the restaurant industry is just the recipe you need. Yeah. You know, I, I have a, a very similar story. I was dragged by a bunch of buddies who, who were saying, hey, this is a great place to work. And it was, uh, it was fun. There was a lot going on. And I was like, this is great. You know, and I, and I remember that moment. I went from a dishwasher to a busboy. It was like the cutest waitress in the place was like, come with me and follow me around and you're going to make some money. And I remember walking around that night with her wherever she went. And the other night I got 80 bucks and I was like, okay, I love this. This is yeah, like the yeah. best thing ever. So that's when I remember falling in love with this and thought I could make a career of it somehow, some way. What was the moment that, what was that moment for you? When did you realize it was a career for you? Um, I think it, it, it came to me, you know, as a young person you kind of have all different things going on i think it, it came to me a couple different times i think it first came to me in high school mother's day brunch super busy mother's day brunch and then afterwards going to my grandparents house to see my grandmother on mother's day and my granddad's like oh do you like it i said i love this industry he's like well just be the best bus boy you can be still trying to perfect that um i also uh had an interesting collegiate um I went to Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff, and okay. uh, I tried to walk on the cross-country team, and I wasn't good enough, but I had already dabbled in triathlons and got into racing bicycles, and um, I was fortunate enough to be just good enough to go through the cycling ranks to get a domestic pro contract, which Very cool. 28 years ago, a domestic pro contract in America wasn't any money. Um, it was very little. 
I think it was a $5,000 uh, stipend. Oh, wow. Plus okay. winning. Very little. Yeah. And, um, but I kept waiting tables through it. And there was a guy on my team that was older, and he was really one of the better guys on the team. His name was Kent Bostick. He actually made the Olympic team in his 40s in 1996. And he's like, Bobby, you love this restaurant industry so much. Don't you dare give it up. And he I was like, God, you're so right. And um, it kind of dawned on me as wow. a pro bike racer that really I love racing bikes, but probably not good enough to race as a pro in Europe. Um, That's interesting. really thankful and thankful that I have an industry I love. That's interesting. I mean, I remember people trying to talk me out of it. So you're very fortunate to have somebody who, uh, you know, I had not gone to college and people were like, you're going to work in a restaurant? You're going to, you just went to college. You're going to go to culinary school now. So, yeah. uh, you know, it was just changed a lot in the last 25 years. I, I agree with you. Back then, that was not something you told your parents or your girlfriend's parents that you wanted to be in the restaurant business. Yeah, no. I, I right after 9 11, I, I, I was working as a financial advisor at Morgan Stanley and I ripped my headphones off and said, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to culinary school. And that, that was it. And that was my dad, I went from making uh, a financial advisor salary to making $750 an hour as a line cook in Hoboken, New Jersey. So uh, it was my parents weren't exactly thrilled. Uh, about that career move. So, um, you know, let's let, getting back into the COVID stuff, just cause it's kind of tough to, to ignore. How have you guys adjusted your model there uh, at Frasca or, or at any other operations to, to, to kind of make things work in the short term? We're in well, we've adjusted on little micro adjustments every day and you, you've got to have a team that's willing to be flexible, a team that's willing, you know, the restaurant industry, a lot of times, are people that love the restaurant industry, but they want it a certain way every day. Right. You know, like if you're a front server, you want to come in at three o'clock and be like this and be like, don't, don't mess with that. Um, during this time period, you need everyone on the team willing to flex uh, and take different detours. Cause it's not going to be a linear line through this COVID. Right. It's not going to be a straight line any day. And I feel really lucky that in all four restaurants, we've got a lot of really positive people that decided to come back post. And all different fronts. I mean, I think one thing was uh, we developed our uh, a different type of to-go. It's called Frosca at Home, oh. where we do it just one day a week on a Sunday. We advertise it throughout the week. We interview a, a wine personality in Europe via Zoom. We record it. We edit it. We record our chef team cooking the meal. And then on Sundays, the, the guests pick those packages up. They get sent the link of the videos. They can watch the videos while they make dinner with us. It's been a really wonderful uh, pivot. Now, it doesn't save everything, but it's been a great – you know, there's still a lot of guests out there. They might uh, – be older, they could have um, pre-existing conditions that they can't go out in public. This has been a great way to be there for all of them also, and for the people that just want to cook fun dinners at home with their family. Yeah, that's super cool. That, that, I, I have uh, a good buddy of mine who, who has a couple of restaurants here, and he, he did the same thing. I thought that was great because it also keeps you relevant, right? It keeps you in front of your guests, and I think that's one of the big things that uh, a lot of operators had to learn is once the guests weren't coming through their door, how do you provide that hospitality beyond the four walls of your restaurant? Uh, and I think that that's one of the best ones I, I've seen and heard of. So that's, that's great. Um, 
in that you mentioned your staff. I mean, how have they? You said that they they were great, but have they all kind of recognized that they maybe have to wear different hats? Have they picked up you know cooks helping pack up orders or, or working the door, servers packing up orders in the kitchen? Has it been that kind of dynamic? Things like that. Um, things like uh, a GM taking a section outside dining to make sure labor is uh, in tune. I, I look at it a lot like um, kind of how the restaurant industry was 20 years ago. We, I think we got so lucky in the last 10 years, restaurants have been exploding and people um, have gone through the ranks really quickly. And maybe right. you might have someone who's an assistant manager or a sommelier that haven't been in the trenches as a server, as a server assistant, as long as we used to be. Right. And this kind of brings us back to the point is every single person needs to be able to do whatever needs to happen. And as long as you have a team that's willing to do that, it's great. Um, I think, you know, the at home is a prime example. That's a lot yeah. of work for one day and everyone has to be included. And I'm very thankful that the teams do that. Um, you know, on a Saturday night, you'll see the the GM and the kitchen team and one of the servers packaging it all up. Uh, like, for example, this week, it's it's Wednesday. It's already sold out. So I know they're going to have, you know, 90 packages that they'll be doing late night, Saturday night. That's awesome. I mean, I think in that, you know, these these they're restaurant people, right? There are people who are kind of I feel like like you probably were like I feel like I am. They'll do anything to kind of get the job done. In and of that, I, I feel like I said this early on and it got kind of like a mixed, like weird faces from people. But as awful as this whole COVID thing has been, the impact on the restaurant industry obviously has been devastating. But, you know, I think the makeup of restaurant people to a certain extent is built for this type of adversity. Would you agree with that? Um, I think we are built for that. But I one thing I, I want to be very um respectful to every restaurant employee across the country is thank God they're built for adversity. Yeah. I think we have to all recognize they are dealing any given day with adversity that you're, if you're in an architectural firm or a law office, flat out, you're not dealing with. Right. Meaning look, a restaurant that might do a hundred covers a night, six nights a week, those wait staff, if they work a five-day shift, they're around 500 people yeah. a week that are right. strangers, that are coming from all walks of life. That is stressful during COVID. I mean, you look at our own White House. Uh, I think they have 80 employees in the West Wing. Mm -hmm. They couldn't control it. Yeah. And uh, that that's the White House. So yeah. here are these private businesses trying to be, provide safety to their employees it is, we, we have to recognize how, no matter how nimble they are, how stressful it is for these employees. Prime example was last week, we had a guest email us the morning after they ate in one of our restaurants. I was at a different restaurant that night, but my wife was in Frosca. Lady was very nice. She dined with us. She asked the, my wife in the really nice lady, all over the table as much as they could be socially distanced only to get an email the next morning that um, she was an educator and every two weeks she got a COVID test. She got a test that morning to be, to, to be positive. So here, no matter how resilient that, that team has been, 
Then they go into stress mode. They all go get tested. Trying to find a test is not easy. I mean, we're really third world right now in testing our country. Let's be honest. Um, If you don't have the day off to go stand in line, it's really hard to get an appointment, to get a rapid test here in Colorado. So that, that stress level amongst that team now, they all came back negative. But just for that 24 hours as they were scrambling to go get tested and we were trying to find places for that's not what employees signing up for. It's not what ownership is signing up for. It's really, really right. stressful. And that's something the restaurant business has a different stressor than many other businesses. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's it's to the to the point now where you really these restaurant restaurant folks are on the front lines more so than a lot of medical staff, right? I mean, they're there with we have our masks, we have the gloves and face shields and all that stuff, but we're interacting. You know, that's the job. That's what cuts against the grain. I think of so many restaurateurs is we want to interact with you. We want to have that provide that hospitality and be close to you and and you have a great experience. And it's hard not to provide it. So just being there is 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 being on the front lines of a war, really, to, to, to a certain yeah. extent. And I think one thing I have not heard enough people talk about is the stress that these ownership is going through every day. So depends on the city you're in or the state, but everyone has different uh, guidelines. But let's say you're in a city that the guidelines are two positives mm. in a restaurant no matter what the size is considered an outbreak. And then you have to close for five days. Right. There are cities that have that guidelines. Now, if you're an architectural firm or a law office or accounting firm, a creative agency, everyone's working their home. They could have 10 positives. Yeah. It doesn't affect their business. They're not closed down. Right. When you think about it, two positives in some cities is considered an outbreak. Going back to the white house, they had way bigger yeah. outbreak than that. Vice President Pence's team's got four right now. So these restaurants, if they are, they're literally sitting on pins and needles every day going, God, I hope I don't get two employees in a, let's say in some cities, two employees in a 10-day period to test positive. If so, I've got to close. What happens to all that food product? Yeah. What happens during that time period? It's just stressors that none of the guests are seeing that people are dealing with. And it's, you know, to me, I feel, you know, you go out to a Lowe's, you go out to the supermarket and I mean, I don't know how it is out there, but here in New York, there's this general feeling of like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of over this. Let me get back to my life. Let me do this. You know, I'll wear the mask. I'll keep six feet apart, but let me get back to, to life. Like this is, this is what, what the general feeling is around here. I don't buy that whole thing. I know it's super dangerous for, for to be with it, you know, within somebody and if somebody's sick and I get it, but do you feel that restaurants and just the way that they're set up and, and forced to engage with people are being like held too accountable here or held like held to a different standard? Well, we 100% are, as I said, you can have yeah. two positives in a hundred person restaurant group. That's a very low percentage and be closed. It's considered an outbreak. Right. Other businesses don't have that. I mean, look at this. I mean, nothing against the airlines, but if they, I know they're having a lot of struggles. Mm-hmm. They're really hurting. I understand that. But if they get a chance to fill a plane, they will fill the plane. Oh, yep. If you yeah. go take the shuttle at DIA airport out to your 
terminal, they'll jam those shuttles full. Yep. Oh, yeah. How is it that you jam a shuttle, jam a plane, but a restaurant is um, – we, we are definitely put to a higher standard. Now, yeah. You know, and that that's part of it, and I'm sure there's – someone with science behind that and that's the playing field we have right and look if that's the playing field we're going to choose across the country for restaurants mm -hmm. then that's why we need to pass the restaurants act yeah. for ppp again because yeah. these nuances that restaurants have to do um are not the same as ppp if you have to close your restaurant once a month this winter during the third wave because you get two employees every 10 days and you have to flush tens of thousands of dollars worth of product, pay your staff while you're yeah. closed, which is you're asked to do in many cities. PPP doesn't do that. We're in yeah. a unique, we, we have unique needs. We have unique challenges that are unique to our industry. And yes, if you want to hold us to a higher standard, that's fine. But mm -hmm. let's address that on a federal level so we can get 11 million jobs to the other side. Yeah. And, you know, I, it's, it's, you know, unlike the airline industry, you could go in there, you know, the government could go in there and save two or three of the bigger guys and everything would be, you know, okay, so to speak. But restaurants are so intertwined in the communities and in the cities, you know, the mom and pops, the delis, the, you know, the, the larger scale restaurants, we're all in the same pool right now. It's just really tough to wrap your arm around it without saying, Hey, look, we're going to bail out this whole industry based on whatever the factor is. So I, I, I don't think it's easy, but at the same time, I think, what? How? How would you think if they said, or what would you think rather if they said, "Look, you guys can open, do what you got to do, masks whenever you're not sitting at the table, okay? We want to ask for six feet apart. You got to keep the table six feet apart, whatever that means for your occupancy number. But the onus is on you. Would you be comfortable with that kind of dynamic, or are you still kind of up in the air about that? I'm up in the air because look, I got to care about my employees. My employees are scared every day, right? Um, you got freaking yahoos out there. I mean, look, we yeah. have the lever to save all 500,000 restaurants. Yeah. Just like there's a lever in place to do a second round of funding for the airlines. Yeah. It's called the Restaurants Act. Yeah. It's there, ready to be pulled. And then Nancy Pelosi, um, uh, she cut and pasted uh, Earl Blumenauer. Uh, bill in the house and put it in the heroes act it's there there is a lever to pull to keep us safe to get us to the other side the problem is not to get political but right. just state the facts um uh majority leader uh mitch mcconnell he took all his kids home yesterday they worked very hard for three weeks to get uh the Supreme Court justice in place, yeah. they left the next morning. They left our industry hanging, saying we're not coming back to work until the ninth. Mm. Not good leadership. No. Period. Doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat, that's not cool. So we so we job, when you're a when you're when you're a senator, when you're a congressman, when you're a president, you were not forced into that. You campaigned for it, you asked for it, you put your hand up, you said, I want to be a leader. Uh, leaders don't do that. Right. Bad leadership. Period. I agree. There's a lever to pull. Get to, pardon me, get to freaking work. 
Yeah, no. Look, I'm I, I'm I'm with you. And, and, and if Mitch McConnell or any of those people want to come spend a week with me, I'll show them how to work. They'll learn a lot, and they yeah. can be a lot better at working. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I I think that's that's exactly it. It's poor leadership. We're seeing that here in New York with with the similar situation. Obviously, the federal stuff is is a major issue. But in the meantime, do I mean do we have any choice but to wait right now? Or where where are we putting our faith? Where are restaurant owners right now putting their faith? that they're going to be saved from this or get some sort of light at the end of the tunnel, at least. I mean, right now we're left to our own devices, which is really sad when you look at, look, I didn't go to MIT, but I can do some simple math. Uh, 11 million jobs mm-hmm. just in the independent restaurant industry. Uh, that's uh, 12 times the size of the airline industry. 12 times. That's like great. New right. York and the five boroughs have as many restaurant employees as the entire airline industry. Yep. You know, I kind of look at it kind of like in biology, you have the cornerstone species, take the sea, sea lion out of the ocean, the ocean caves in. We're 11 million jobs. But there's another 5 million jobs of people that are delivery drivers, that are linen delivery people, fishmongers, yep. farmers, all these people that depend on us being open. So that's simple math. That's just the independent restaurant employees is 10% of the American workforce. I mean, that's staggering. Yeah. The largest private sector job creator. Let's, let's get to, let's figure this out. Don't leave this industry all on its own. Yeah. I mean, remember the president did try uh, to pass um, a package for farmers because they're hurting because we are down in numbers. Yep. I mean, Look, it doesn't take rock and science. If you're going to write a package for farmers because they're down because our numbers are down, you got to go to the root of the problem. So assuming we get this money at some point, whatever the case may, whatever whatever that looks like, how do you see us eventually even getting back to any kind of version of what we were or to what what is going to be expected of us? What what do you think that re-entry back into the post-COVID world looks like for most restaurants? Well, I think one thing we need to do as an industry is, um, you know, the Independent Restaurant Coalition, which I was one of the co-founders of, and I feel very honored to work with that whole team every morning. And they are, they're, they're, they're warriors, every one of them. Um, I think we realized that post-COVID, we need the Independent Restaurant Coalition to be there as this advocacy, yeah. this collective voice for our industry. I think what I think we should look at after this is on the civic level, on the state level and the federal level, how do we retool restaurants to better take care of those 11 million employees and independent restaurant owners? I think there's a lot of levers we could pull. I think, um, look, quite frankly, our industry is looked at by the Senate and the Congress is like burger flippers. They don't look at us as these great job creators that, that we are. Right. I did not invent that word. That was actually given to me, and I won't say who, by a congressperson when wow. I was on a call from them. So look, we real that's what we need to do post this COVID is say, okay, we got through this. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I remember when that when when you guys started that coalition, it felt 
it felt immediately like, okay, I'm not in this by myself. You know, I'm not in this, you know, it, this is, this is starting to get a little traction and, you know, the restaurant, you know, industry, as you know, can, can be a little bit of a lonely existence and you feel like you're fighting your own battle. And, and that may even be the case today, but to know that, that the organization is there uh, fighting for us um, in DC, I, that, I just remember that feeling being like, oh, wow. And I saw the names associated with it. I'm like, okay, this is going to get somewhere. It's frustrating to hear you say, you know, a bunch of burger flippers and, and just to see that the lack of results, right? I mean, I'm, I'm optimistic that it's going to be okay, but I feel like a lot of restaurant owners are starting to feel like not that optimistic anymore. How, how, how do you, what are some words of encouragement you would give them uh, here now for them to push through? Well, I think the, the greatest word of encouragement for every restaurant worker and owner out there is way to hang tough. I, I'm empathetic with you. I'm, it, this is scary as I'll get out. We're all going to go through different days of highs and lows of just emotional despair. Um, I do recommend everyone going to www.saverestaurants.com. There, that's the IRC website. There's a tab there that you can hit it, and it can a, you can send a note right to your senators. I think that's really important. Um, I, I do think they're out of touch. You know, Earl Blumenauer, the patron saint of restaurants from Oregon, and Roger Wicker and, and Catherine Sinema in the Senate, um, they, they passed the restaurant or they um, – they released the Restaurants Act in June. Um, it's been around. Just yeah. every two weeks is a payroll cycle, and someone is not coming out the other side. Yeah. Every month is rent is due. And yeah. we're, look, we're asked to do this for society. No in-room dining or 25% of occupancy. Um, we're doing what we're supposed to do for society. We need that bill passed, and we need the Senate to say, wow, I need to try to understand our constituents, what they're going through. Yeah. I know. It's an, I believe I filled it out on that site and it kind of shot a letter to, to our local representative. And I was a little bit disheartened by the templated response we got back. But um, no, I think that's great. I mean, you know, keep your head up, keep going, keep pushing is, is sort of the, the mantra here. And day by day, uh, minute by minute, try to find, you know, the, the bright spots that kind of, at least for me, that kind of kept, keeps you going in this business. Right. And, and, and they are there and, and it's, it's just kind of great to see. And, and I love to see the industry coming together um, at this time. Um, one last thing, uh, a couple last things here before I let you go. I noticed uh, that you had, when you were dealing with stress or dealing with anything going on, you turned to running. Is that still the case? How yeah. You do yeah. And it has been since I was seven years old. That's I mean, awesome. I, do, I do enjoy cycling a lot too. It just takes more time. But I do, and it doesn't matter. The other day it was 10 degrees out, and it snowed six inches, and I went out and ran oh, wow. okay or whatever. You just got to do it. And you find that just as like a, a mental release just more than anything else too, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, I don't take headphones with me. I don't listen to anything. I just – doesn't matter if I run for an hour or three hours. That's my meditation. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I think that a lot of restaurant owners, they say, ah, you know, I can't do this. I got – you know, I'm on my feet all day. I can't do it, but it is so important, and it's kind of like – turns into a, like a meditation almost, like you're saying. You don't listen yeah. to anything. Let, let your thoughts kind of run through your head. Um, well, look, I, I'm, I wish we had more time. I'm very uh, grateful that you took the time to speak here and and, and speak on, on behalf of the Save Restaurants Coalition. Um, I, I am optimistic, and I, I think it's because I know that people like you are out there fighting the good fight for, for all the independent, the smaller uh, restaurants and stuff. So um, yeah. thank you for that. Kyle, thanks for having me on. Of course. And uh, – 
good luck. I hope to make it out to Denver and, and, and Boulder and check out all your spots uh, when we get out of this. That'd be great. Can't wait. All right. Thanks, so Bobby. Appreciate it. Bye bye. Bye. All right. Thanks for checking out this week's episode. And as always, this episode has been sponsored by Four Turns Hospitality Consultants. Look, whether it's bookkeeping, hiring strategies, menu development, real estate site selection, we can help you. None of this stuff should be tackled on your own. You know, you need to focus on your business. And we have a team full of professionals that have been in your shoes and service professionals that are ready and willing to help you with whatever aspect of the business uh, you may be struggling with. So head over to my Instagram, uh, click the link in my bio to schedule a free 15-minute Zoom call with me, and we can discuss any of those issues. And if I can help you, I will be happy to make an introduction to somebody who can. All right, guys, thank you so much again for listening and supporting the show. It means everything to me. And stay strong, keep your head up. We're almost through this whole mess. All right, guys, have a great week.